Welcome to Kashmir on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with Kashmir issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir Magazine. And tonight we have a very interesting show, but I would like to give out the telephone number if you'll be able to call in. I hope we'll be able to uh, answer questions as well, because we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the studio number, if you'd like to call in, is 718-683-5858. But if you don't get through, you can just keep trying, 718-683-5858. I want to also let you know the the regular uh, numbers of the station, because people do call up and they ask you, and how can you reach the station to listen to the show? There are two uh, numbers that we have, 718-506-9099, and also 712-432-4217. Those are the numbers to listen to the show. And if you want to call in, you call in 718-683-5858. Tonight's show, I have three very interesting topics, which I hope we'll be able to share with you. One is, uh, first. the first one is about a problem with the peppers from Israel, which are uh, making their way around, and I have an interesting piece about that. Then we have a, a problem with a wine, that's coming from Israel, that's Shemitah year, and I uh, just became aware of that yesterday, and I want to share that information with you. And then we have a piece uh, dealing with Shemitah and the humane aspects of it, which I think is also very interesting. And then we'll see what else I have, a uh, piece on Bikr Cholim, if we get that far, and maybe even, even further than that, we'll take care of the other issues as well. Uh, anybody calls in, let me know, okay? Can you turn this off over here? Uh, yeah. The first topic I want to talk about is about the uh, is about the peppers. Now we've talked about the peppers so many times. I, I, I what's coming out of my ears, but it seems always something else new is happening. And uh, so I I just share with you what's what I got this uh, email that I got. Uh, dear Rabbi Wickler, I was shopping in Shoprite on Avenue I. I don't know if you know the Shoprite on Avenue I, McDonald over there under the tracks. Um, this past Friday, and saw a sign for Holland peppers. None of them seemed to be from Holland. They had stickers identifying them from Spain, and others said they're from Israel. And he asked me to publicize it, which I, I told him we've we publicized it so many times already. The only thing, I'm going to show you what I, what I was interested in. And then he said to me, I didn't have time to speak to the manager. I was, it was getting late. Should I pursue that course of action, or is it a waste of time? Okay, I'll skip what I answered him. <laughs> anyway, what we, uh, we want to stress is like this. The word Holland doesn't mean from Holland. Years ago, it probably did. But Holland is already a type of pepper. And I don't know if, you, if you're watching the pepper market, but I've been watching the pepper market for a little while. You know, the peppers went up, all of the vegetables went up. And uh, recently, in the like, last two weeks or something, it shot up sky high. Now, this is a, a, big, a big thing in the, for the, the pepper business because they're selling their products at you know three ninety nine four ninety nine a pound, and before that they were selling it for dollar ninety nine two ninety nine or whatever it was even lower. So that big jump is profit. 
because they can they have to be able to produce it cheaper than that it's not it's not costing them double the price now to produce it and if you i studying the the market it the ones that are coming from israel this is a big big part of their business a huge part of their business the ones that we're importing they import a lot of different things right but the peppers are hugely successful the peppers that the israel makes they call them holland peppers they, they are the big thick ones shiny you can't believe it's you check it's filling in it it's 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 unbelievable quality and very competitive with anybody else and even though it says Spain on some of the others, it's possible they're coming from Israel too. It could have been shipped out of Spain. But that doesn't matter to us because we're not really to worry about that point. That's nothing. We, you know, Nobody could possibly follow up to that degree. But if something says Israel on it, and those little stickers are very, very confusing. I have a list in my uh, next issue of the magazine, and actually it's going to go out on the... Uh, it's going to go out on the next Kashmir Monthly, which is going out in about two days. In that in that piece over there, we list about ten different company names that are all Israeli companies. Maybe in small letters in the bottom it says Israel, but they're names that you wouldn't all think we think. You know, if if it would be a name, you know, like uh, Sabra or you know something like that, or you know. You know, uh, the, 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 you, you give away that it's, since it's a Hebrew word, then that the, you figure it's come from Israel. But there's so many other names that you wouldn't figure out at all. And it, what I was thinking about, I didn't check it out in the store, but uh, I know that in some stores it's this way, where you have mixed sources in the same bin. Now, now today it's maybe a little less because it depends what that what that uh, fruit store or that uh, supermarket carries. If they carry a lot of different types of uh, of peppers, then maybe they won't be shared. And if the signage is very clear and they mention product of Israel on the sign, then you wouldn't be fooled. There's one store that I know; it's a Omei Shomer Shabbos owner. And uh, he puts very clearly what each type is and where it's coming from. And so even if the sticker weren't there, you would you would know right away that this is a, an Israeli one or not an Israeli one. Plus the fact that he has a lot of different types, and you could easily tell this is not that type. So you're, you're doubly protected. But if they don't have stickers on, and some of them are from Israel, and you have to worry about the one that doesn't have a sticker. You can't worry that they took a sticker off thing and put it on the other one. It could happen, but that's not where we have where we have to be responsible. But you have to sh- you have to see the situation on its own right. If it looks confusing, then don't buy there. And if it's a from owner, tell them please. We really don't need this. In the, uh, for the, shouldn't really have Israeli products here at all because it's marshal the people very 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 much. It's very very hard. And they're not doing tumors and mices properly. We not from Israel. They're not doing anything, and we to do it here. Many people don't know how to do it. And it's it's really unfair situation. But the burden is on us to make sure that we're not eating a product of Israel. So I I I just think it's it it's very easy to tell if you look. 
some people go into the back and check the boxes sometimes. I don't know if they if you need to do that. If they're putting labels on, you have to assume the label is correct. And if it doesn't say Israel, you don't have to assume it's Israel because they don't, they ha- they're mechuyiv to put the word Israel on on that label. If it's a product outside the country, they do have to identify the country it comes from. And it, it's it's always done. So now, the next topic I'm going to talk about is an, another email that I got. This is from a Talmud. He's a rov in a shul, not too far away. And uh, he, he wanted to share this with me, and I thought it was very interesting. I spent a little time preparing uh, some related material regarding it. The question is about a wine that was produced during Shemitah. Now, Shemitah is not last year. It says 2015. You know, some people would say, 2015, that's ancient history. But that's not the way it works in the wine business. And especially when uh, certain years are good crops. So it does, that's not how it works. The way it works in the wine industry is that you you got a good wine, you sell it. And actually, for some people, a Shemitah wine is something extra special. And they like the idea of having Kedusha Shviz. They're not, they're not only making Kiddush, but they're making Kiddush on something that has a special Kedusha to it. But here's the, here's the wine, and you can find it. It's, it's on sale. That's how we got it. <laughs> the, the, the person who uh, reported it to us, you know, this is, this is something that was sold <laughs> in a regular store. And here's what it says. There was a Rite Aid pharmacy. Could you imagine that? I don't. It's in. It's, it looks to me like it's coming from that. That, that the original email comes from New Jersey, from uh, Edison, New Jersey, and their Rite Aid. They were selling Yardane Cabernet wine, 2015 vintage, that was produced from Shemitah grapes. Now here's the problem with it. I'm going to read to you a little bit from the label. Then we're going to go a little bit through what they tell you in the different uh, uh, sources about how to deal with this. The label says, Yardin Galilee Cabernet Sauvignon 2015. Red wine Galilee 750 milliliters. It's bottled by uh, Golan Heights Winery. Now, this is what it tells you over here. This was Otsar based in Shemitah wine, exported after Beor, kosher lemahadrin, kosher for Passover. So there you go. We have, uh, you know, two Ashkachas, Kedar Kopakodesh, you have from, from Tiveria, Rarbach from Tiveria, and we have um, Rav Ishai Shmuel from the Kashrus department, the Golan Heights. And uh, this wine is produced from the Shemitah grapes, and it's produced by Otsar Bastin, which we have to understand a little bit what that is. Now, in small letters at the bottom, it said that this is not Mavoshal. That's something we also have to know. We've got to be careful, because any Shemitah wine is going to be not Mavoshal. You know why? 
You're not allowed to cook the wine. You're not allowed to cook it. Because when you cook it, you reduce it. It's not a normal way of eating it. You could eat it raw, etc. The grapes, so therefore uh, you cannot cook it. So it's not mavushal. Amazing, no? But that's that's what we that means you have a shila of whether you're allowed to cook it. Presumably not. I mean, maybe somebody will say something different because there's a, you know, I, I, I worked through this a little bit and I can see a little movement. But basically, most people bring down that you can't cook the wine. So now, uh, what else can't you do? You can't do a lot of things. Let's say you want to make uh, Havdullah. So you can't pour over the top because if you pour over the top, the rest is not going to get you eaten, you're not going to drink it. It's going to go throw out. And and you can't uh, dip your fingers in and put in your eyes and your pockets. No, can't do it. And if it would be Pesach, you can't uh, pour out the, the ten drops for the, for the you know, for the, the Dam Svardaya Kinem, right? You can't do it. Because that's destroying the Kedusha of the Shemitah wine that was produced in Shemitah and is not allowed to be going to waste. And when you finish the bottle, you've got to be very careful because there's going to be a little bit drops left inside. Or a cup, there's going to be some drops left inside. You can't just throw it out and wash it out. That's not treating Kedusha's Shemitah properly. So you have to let it dry out, you have to let it rot, you have to let it do something. But you can't just throw it out. You have to treat it as Kedusha Shviz. This is serious. So it look, looks cute, right? You know, we're getting the Shemitah wine, and then the oats are based in, don't they take care of everything? Well, first of all, we're going to try to understand a little about what oats are based in is all about. Because oats are based in is a little more interesting than uh, <laughs> than just that. But Let's start Let's start from the, the beginning over here. Oats are based in and Otsar Basin is not, it's a method of handling the wine. Because technically you can't, you can, let's, let's start from square one. Kedusha Shviz, the seventh year, the crop is, has Kedusha. You can't go ahead and treat it the way you do all year or every other year. You can't harvest it for the purpose of selling. You can't uh, sell it. You 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 can you you have to uh, be careful how you handle the the product, and then you have to get rid of it at the time of beer, which takes place when there's no more in the field. So all of this is a, a responsibility that any person has regarding the shemitah prop the uh, the pr- uh, produce. Now these grapes that that grow over there. The only way that they can handle it is the volume, and they're in business making wine, and they want to make wine on on uh, Shemitah, otherwise they'll lose a lot of the the value. And besides that, it's you know just not let let go waste. Why should you let it go to waste? It's 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 possible to work it out through a process called Otsar Basin. Otsar Basin goes back in you know to the, the original days where people uh, couldn't do anything with their Shemitah products. They used to eat 
whatever they wanted and other people could walk on their field and, and just pick the things up and eat it as well and they had to let them come onto the field as long as they're going to treat it with the kedusha, with the holiness of the shemitah product so that's how it was done in olden times the creation of the Otsar Basin is a very simple arrangement. The real old Otsar Basin was literally an Otsar storage. What people did was they had a local community, they created a basin. They actually had a basin there. And they would tell the basin, giving you the right to take care of it. You can do what you want with the with the grapes of this field, this vineyard. So now the, the, the basin will say, okay, let me take all this stuff in and we'll put it into the, these warehouses and every week we'll give it out to the people of the city. We'll go passing around the houses like in, instead of getting a delivery of mail, you get a delivery of grapes or uh, wine or anything else that's growing. Th- that, that's the way the system worked of old, but we don't have that kind of communal system today. So we have a new Otsar Basin. It's the first one of the new Otsar Basin was in 1910. 5670, 1910. The first modern Otsar Basin. Rav Tzvi Hirsch Cohen, a Talmud Chacham from Rehovot, owned certain vineyards and orchards. And it, he came to the Rabbanim of Yerushalayim and he asked that they be a, become a basin to distribute the wine and the fruit from his orchards for the upcoming Shemitah year. They wrote a contract, and we have that contract till today. It was signed by Rav Chaim Berlin, Rav of Yushalayim, yes, that's the Rav Chaim Berlin, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, and Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, Big Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael the, the okay, and two other prominent Dayanim, Rav Yisrael Yaakov Yavitz and Rav Moshe Nochem Wallenstein. All these Rabbanim signed this document, buying, I mean, I mean, taking the responsibility to do the Otsar Basin for Rav Tzvi Hirsch Cohen. Now, this would allow the people of Yushalayim to get the benefit from Rav Cone's orchards. But someone had to arrange how you harvest the fruit, how you make it into wine, how you transport it uh, to, to, to Yerushalayim, because that's not where his vineyards were. So Rav Cone was the most qualified person to take care of it. He's the owner. He's been doing it all the years. So he should be the one to get hired to take care of it. So they made the arrangements, and they were able to, you know, give him money for it. And they uh, appointed representatives to harvest it and 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 to, uh, to to do all the all the work. And they were able to pay him as an agent, but not as an owner. So now the, this is the the gray area, you know. Otsar based in is taking care of everything, so shouldn't the price be? a tenth of what it is all the time, they were, I'm always getting ripped off. But the Esrogim, I'm always getting a high price. Last year it was uh, uh, $210, I'll, I'll make it a number, uh, $100 for the Esrog. And and this year it's $125 for the Esrog. And this goes on and on and on and on. 
And and notes are based in yes, notes are based in no, I'm still paying the same same money. So there's an answer for that question. It's not a good one, but it's an answer for that question because really we have to hire these people and these people have their prices. So you know, it could work out that way. It really should be cheaper. Uh, it, 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 it should be that they are taking a lower price, and maybe they, in some cases they do. I can't tell you what happens in any of these particular departments. But that's the, the, if the law is you could pay a normal price for the workers. Now, I'm not talking about whether they're getting $15 an hour or $50 an hour. It's got to be something that's a worker, not an owner. I take everything. How do you get the money, though? Well, the money had to be paid to the Otsar Basin in order, maybe in those days it wasn't paid, maybe it was raised. But in the, in the old days it was paid to people, I mean today, let's say it's paid to the, to the Basin supposedly, and the money is given to the, to the owner now, he's only an agent or a worker. And the, 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 the reason why that money is being paid for the ESRO is because it takes money to get the esrog off the tree, uh, sifted through, chosen, selected, uh, uh, cleaned, maybe packaged, shipped, delivered, stored, sold. The whole process takes a lot of money. So all of that I can collect, and and then it can go out to pay those salaries. So in a sense, Basin owns it, but it might end up that the same amount of money I paid you last year, I pay you this year. Maybe that way. Uh, anyway, that's the uh, issue of the oats are based in. Now, the, uh, there are rules, and here were the rules that that, that first based in had, where they were controlling what Rav Kohn did, and here's what they told him. They had to... Uh, Guarantee that Rav Kohn was paid as a manager and not as an owner. They and one more thing they did was they predetermined the price that the consumer had to pay for the wine. So it wasn't left up to uh, what the, the the traffic will bear. It had to be a specific price, guaranteeing that it be significantly lower than its usual market price. I don't see this really happening seriously when it comes to the esrogim. But usually what they do is have a fixed price on the box when you're getting a closed box or something of that nature. Otherwise, it's not easy to do it because you can't say, oh, this esrogim that you want, oh, oh, oh that, es- that esrogim, oh, that's a very fine, that esrogim is $250. I mean, how can that esrogim be $250? It's only a question of processing the esrogim. It's not a question of evaluating the esrogim. It's a question of just processing it, of you know, taking it out of the ground and, and de- detaching it and, and getting it shipped over here. So how come the one next to it is only $100,000, this one's two fifty because it's cleaner? That's no no more work. So that can't be done, and that's why they're sold by closed boxes usually. Um, here's some of the other conditions that existed in that first Otsar Basin. The wine and the fruits could be distributed only to people who observe the Shemitah sanctity of the products. And that's crucial. Because that's really a big problem that I have in my brain, understanding buying these Shemitah wines 
because they're not only being sold to from people who are going to be careful about Shemitah observance. We, you're listening to me on the radio or the telephone or whatever today. And and I'm explaining this to you. But what about the person who goes to the, the store and says, that looks like a good bottle. I want a Sauvignon. Oh, it's from Israel. Oh, great, I'll take it. And they just throws out half the glass and half of the bottle. They didn't really like it. Eh, throws it away. <laughs> and we're not allowed to sell it to him. So you, so you mean the wine stores now in Rite Aid are sitting around uh, asking questions of the people who come into shop? Uh, do you know the halachas of, uh, of Shemitah wine? <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. So I I have a problem with the whole thing of the Otsa base and the whole business of why it's being done in this way and whether the, the regular wine business and regular distribution is appropriate. And you'll see these lists over here. I think I would have made some new rules for the Otsa base. And anyway, it has to be given to people who would properly observe Shemitah. Number two, the vineyards and the orchards had to be available for any Shemitah observant person to enter and harvest for his own needs, which is what we always have every Shemitah you could walk in. I remember when I was there in Israel one time on a Shemitah year, uh, and we were, uh, we were able to take Esrogim. We were able to take Esrogim. We couldn't take a lot of them, but you were allowed to take Esrogim, and then you could take them home. And that was uh, that was a question: Can you take it out of Israel? Okay, let's not get lost in that one. But that, it's, an issue, it's an interesting issue. But we but we were allowed to. We passed uh, uh, farms there that had uh, watermelon sitting out. You could just take. It was amazing, amazing situation. Number three, the products were not distributed through stores, but were divided as a communal division of bulk product. This is the way it was originally done. But the, this based in 1910 required this. The products were not weighed or measured because that's sort of the way a, an owner does it. Each individual who participates in dividing the Shemitah produce paid of coin as, as based in agent for which the consumer was entitled to shares of the wine. In other words, he was, he was taking shares but he was, but actually, and he became like a partner with uh, whatever, whatever it was. He was, uh, he was joining of Coners with the, the agent. Okay, and uh, they were getting bulk containers uh, without any actual exact exact weight, so they weren't necessarily all exactly a certain uh, weight. Now that's not the way it's done today. It says clearly over here, seven fifty milliliter, and I'm sure that's what's inside. And uh, also, uh, we, we see over here that it's being sold in stores. Rite Aid is a store, I think, yeah. So, the next one was the actual harvest of the product was performed by non-Jews. And in an atypical way. So, they made certain changes in how it was harvested. Now, the Chazonish had a more lenient approach than the Beistin of Yerushalayim had with that first... Uh, Otsa Basin. He ruled that representatives of an Otsa Basin can harvest in any no- normal way and use Jews to do it, and that's basically what's being done today, I would assume. In addition, the Chazonish permitted weighing and measuring produce sold through Otsa Basin, and I just told you that is being done today. So they're obviously following the Chazonish and not all the Frumkite that was the, orig- the original uh, Otsa Basin. But there is a big problem, and the big problem is uh, that some people are abusing the system, 
and it's become as the way the way Rabbi Kaganov explained. Uh, maybe I'll get a few words from him. Rabbi Yermio Kaganov has a nice piece on it, and he talks about how there's a uh, there's the there's the uh, hetter of the oats are based in, as opposed to the actual oats are based in. In other words, it's just a game, it's just a, a facade. So the oats are based in had teeth in it, and it was different, and it really was that the based in was controlling it. In today's world, it, it, it may be, you know, not really 150% that way. So that, that, that raises a question, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go into that today because that's, uh, there's probably a lot of people weighing on that one. In a modern Otsar basin, the grower plants everything before Shemitah and is given extremely detailed instructions regarding what he may and may not do during Shemitah. In other words, there really is no basin. I, I mean, the basin does something and t- teaches the owner something, and then basically the owner is technically the agent, but he just does everything he do- does normally. Except that maybe they'll, they'll sell it in, in closed boxes or something like that when it comes to the uh, Srogan. But I, I think you're getting the point that this is a serious business. And uh, my vote, I, I, I probably would skip it. You know, but if you, if you want to buy the, the, uh, the, the Shemitah product, at least familiarize yourself with these halachos and realize that there's a question also of beer. I mean, that's the only thing we didn't really discuss tonight, and I'm going to go into it quickly. Beer is like this. There's a time of beer that has to be destroyed. Now, you can't destroy this. You're going to destroy it. There's nothing left. In Shemitah, yeah, I can't destroy it. So what, what are you supposed to do? You, well, you're not allowed to have it anymore. You're not allowed to have it in your possession after the time when it's, you can't eat it anymore, after the time when, the, uh, when, when it's no more in the field. So what are we supposed to do? So what's done is you take and put it out well in the old days they actually got rid of it that way it was just put it out and then something happened an animal took it a person took it the the weather changed it you know it's it's no longer there anymore and you're not in control of it you're mafia it's out of your hands but uh today you know we're not gonna we don't want to throw the things away so the halacha is you could what you could do is you could put it out out of the house, it can't be right on your front doorstep, it can't be where everyone will say, oh, that's his, don't touch it, it has to be in a place where people would touch it and pick it up, and it has to be left there a significant amount of time, I don't know, I don't think you're going to like to hear what I'm going to say, you have to leave it out, many people hold overnight, <laughs> or you have to leave it out at a long period of time where somebody could pick it up and take it, well, I live in New York, I'm gonna. I don't think it's a surprise when I'm going to tell you. If you leave it out long enough for somebody to take it, they will. So I don't know how you're going to be able to get past this one. And some people hold that even though we had the oats are based in, we may have to put it out and for a time to fulfill that part of it. That's consult your own rabbi about that because you're buying the bottle, you're going to pay for it, you want to use it. But check it out first whether you ha- you're exempt from the beer. Now, it does say that it was sold after this man beer. It says over here, exported after beer. Now, did the rabbis control the beer 
in Israel? Did they it's so it's sent after the time of Biur? Did they handle it where they were mafkar at first? What is the status now? That's beyond the scope of tonight's program. I don't want to get lost in that. It's something that you'd have to ask a Shiloh. Okay. And that's how it was presented to me that there's that people are concerned about this particular product, and I, I can I suggest you reconsult your own rabbi about it. I have a text here, Rabbi. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I learned that Otsar Bezdin products shouldn't be removed from Eretz Israel. Right. Well, let 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 me explain to you. All of us are getting those S Rogim. They are coming here. There obviously is a, 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 a there there are those. You know, the, the, you're not allowed to take the product out of Israel, but I suppose Basin is allowed to do it because otherwise it's impossible. We we do we see that with these wines that from coming from the Rabbanim, and we're talking about real Otsa Basin. We're not talking about that they sold the land to the the Arabs. This is Otsa Basin. This is Kedusha Shviz. They're telling you the wine is Kedusha Shviz, and they are selling it. In addition to that, you'll see what the Esrogim on the seventh year and the eighth year. I'm sorry, when they come from the the Shemitah year, uh, they're definitely selling it here, and and def- they definitely have permission to export it. I don't know the ins and outs, but that's definitely the, the, the Lamaisa, whether it's, there are opinions differently. What, what this person heard was about them taking it out. The problem of taking them out. And on certain, in certain circumstances, they are allowed to take it out. In the end, I didn't take the Yes Rogan back to America. Um, we realized there, wasn't gonna, there, was an, there was an issue with it. Uh, I don't remember if the Psukim involved in it, but, I, but I'm sure that anyone who wants to go into it will find the answers to those questions. My next topic is about um, about Shechita, from Shemitah to Shechita. Now, this is very interesting for me because uh, it, 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 it seems that Dafyomi is up to Hulin. And uh, I got this daf, daf notes from Hulin Chavzayin. Very interesting discussion about the humaneness of Shechita. And since it is a big topic today, I thought we should discuss it. Why is it a big topic today? Because all over Europe, all over the world, and I'm convinced that it will happen in America too, we're having challenges to Shechita. Uh, you see the challenges happened in this educational system, which we never expected ever was going to occur. We thought everything was down pat, and we see that things, something erupted. Uh, I can't see that we're going to be guaranteed that we won't have some problem with the Shrita here in the future. Maybe we'll win. Maybe it won't be a, we won't change our life, but I can't imagine that we're going to escape it completely. I've been active in the area of Shrita for something over 20 years. We had a group that was put together. I don't want to tell you the details because I don't know if I have permission to talk about it. But it was a group of 15 people. And they're all in the uh, area of meat. I was not really in that. I mean, I'm a magazine, right? I just That's all I do. But Okay, I teach halacha, but fine. But I'm I'm in the in the just I'm not doing the meat. I'm not shechting. I'm not giving ashkacha. I'm not selling meat. Okay, but these people were, and you know the some a lot of the names, 
I would say you know you know more than half the people who are that fifteen. You know them. Everybody who's listening to me knows the fifth, uh, half of those people for sure. And we had meetings, and the meetings were because there were challenges. You never heard about them. I maybe wrote about it in the magazine, a little hinted at it here or there. And I mentioned this group of 15, but I didn't talk about it because it's, it was private. And I think it's fair to talk about it publicly. But we were there to defend our rights to do shrita. And nobody knew about this. And I went to different uh, meat businesses. And I said, we have to do something here. I went to Hashkoch and said, we have to get ready for the future. And everybody told me, we're not going to do it. We're not going to, we're not going to, first of all, doing anything might bring people out against us. But I said, we have to be prepared. We have to have things writing. We have to have a website. We have to do uh, positive uh, PR. We have to do it. They said, no, no, no. And I think, you know, it just takes one Peter video, one, I don't know what, one candidate and uh you know getting into an office and we'll all change but be that as it may people want to be ostriches but so so be it but this question was is is raging all over the world there have been attacks on cautious non-stop for i mean you know for, for tens and tens of years hundreds of years let me give you a little bit about it this is from daf notes which you can get if you if you do if you do the daf uh, you can get this these daf notes uh, just uh, it's a they'll send you every week uh, different notes on the on the daf the anti they have they have some regular halacha type you know regular stuff this is what i'm giving you is a special one that i got the anti-Semitic decrees, about 150 years ago, anti-Semites began to arouse world public opinion against Jewish slaughtering with various excuses, the main one being cruelty to animals, regulations, laws, decrees, limiting or completely forbidding shrita quickly spread in the Nazi era and incorporated many European countries. The Jews gathered to daven and to defend themselves Many books and many pamphlets were published with an effort to repel the false accusations. So uh, we should let we should let you know that I mean this is you know anyway we've heard it even here probably that those countries that are so so called humanitarian that are worried about the animals in those countries you wouldn't want to see how they kill the pigs that they uh, with extreme cruelty. I've actually seen pictures, a video of it, and the barbaric animal hunts that they have for their amusement. So that those are okay, you know, to run after the wolf and, and and the fox. I'm sorry, and to kill it, that's okay. You know, to torture the pig is okay, but a Jew should use shrita with a with a sharp knife that takes less than a second, uh, and and that's that's not good enough. Okay. Now, what he talks about a lot over here is the fact that we cut in the neck. When the, the shrek cuts in the neck, and he cuts the windpipe and the esophagus, and in an animal, you have to cut majority of the of, of each one of those, the windpipe and the esophagus, and in the chicken, you have to do a, a majority of one. 
And this halacha goes all the way back to Moshe at Har Sinai. It's halacha Moshe Sinai. And what I'm going to tell you now is very interesting. I think so, anyway. The Sefer HaChinuch, and many people know about the Sefer HaChinuch. They know about the Minchas Chinuch, and they know about the Sefer HaChinuch. But no one knows really who the Sefer HaChinuch is. The Sefer HaChinuch is Rav Aaron Halevi, but there were two of them. There's one that was in Spain, and he, he wrote it, and he was in Barcelona, and, and, and if he wrote it, it's between 1255 and 1285, the 1300s. We're now in the 21st century. Figure it out yourself. It's almost 800 years ago. And the, uh, the, he wrote this nearly 800 years ago, 1255 to 1285, if he wrote it. And the other one, the other of Aaron Halevi, was a Talmud of the Rashba, and the Rashba lived from 1235 to 1310. So again, exact timing, probably if it's the student of the Rashba, it's later. But you're talking about 1200, 1300, close to 800 years ago, mitzvah 451 of the 613 mitzvahs that he lists, gives two reasons why we slaughter in the neck. Number one, it's known that the blood of the body flows out from the neck more than from other parts of the body. We therefore commanded to slaughter an animal there before we eat it so that all of its blood escapes from there and we won't eat the soul with the meat. In other words, as it's forbidden to eat blood since it's forbidden to eat blood the best way to drain most of the blood out of the meat, the Sefer Chinuch is telling us, it is, is through cutting the neck. It's further said that the reason for slaughtering at the neck and with an exa- examined smooth knife is so that we shouldn't make an animal suffer too much. This is 800 years ago. The Sefer Chinuch says, why do we do shrita in the neck? The animal should not suffer very much. The Torah permitted people, in light of their elevated status, to eat meat and to derive the needs from the animals, but not to make them suffer for for, for no purpose. Chazal already spoke about the prohibition of cruelty to animals. So here the Sefer Chinuch is saying it's Shrita was designed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be this way in order to cut back the suffering of the animal. And they're killing, and if you would see how they attack that fox, and how they treat that fox, and 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 what they do to those animals that they slaughter the pigs, if you would see it, you couldn't, you couldn't discuss the same thing at the same breath. It's absolutely amazing why they're taking on, picking on us, that we're not sensitive to the animals. Okay, there is, uh, if you want to see more about this, there's a very good uh, discussion in Mazon Kasher Minachai, in chapter 2, I'm sorry, part 2, chapter 9. Mazon Kasher Minachai, chapter, I mean, part 2, chapter 9. Now, also we should know that the animal has a lower level of sensitivity than, uh, than people do. So 
what's going to happen is, after the Shrita, yes, there may be a, a few second delay, but the sensitivity didn't click in yet. So when the, when you shecht, it stops being able to breathe, and, to, and the brain stops functioning right away because the blood is not going to the brain. And so even if the body, which I don't know if it's called alive or not anymore, maybe legally it's alive and maybe even maybe even halakhically has some sort of life, not for us, but for goyim, it's considered to be alive. There's a difference between us and them, Gabi, the halacha of Eva uh, Menachai. So, so it, it, it may still be, in their terms, alive, but the, the level of sensitivity is so much lower that the pain sensation has it never reaches their brain in the, by the time that it actually dies. That's the way there is, is being explained over here. Now, there were some people who also complained about the knife, that oh, we have a very long knife. By the way, it's not such a long knife, but they have a very long knife, and the animal gets scared, which I don't believe it at all. And the Gemara deflects that and says that... that uh, you, 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 uh, I'm not sorry, I, I turned the wrong page there. Uh, but it's not true, because, the, the, yeah, the animal... would the, the researchers held a knife, dripping blood in front of many cattle, and most of them reacted complacently, aside from one animal. And that animal licked the knife, licked the blood. So they're not scared of the knife. So these are their complaints are, are, are you know, baseless, and that's an unfortunate part of the the challenge of the diaspora, correct? So... Uh, let, let, let me just... Uh, Let me just uh, go on to the next topic, and uh, I see that we have probably some more things here. That's good enough, really. The uh, Now I'm going to be discussing something which is from an article, uh, one of these articles that I enjoy very much, from Heshi Khan, Rabbi Heshi Khan, from the, uh, the Mill Basin Kolel. This is called Halachic Perspectives. That's where all his is called Halachic Perspectives. Hilchas Bikr Choylem. I thought this was interesting because we all do Bikachoyim and there are a couple of things here that many of us don't really think enough about. And maybe it'll open your eyes, even though hopefully many of the things you do know. What's the status of uh, the Mitzvah Bikachoyim? Is it something that's required? Is it the Raisa? Is it the Rabbonin? So, like everything else, it's a Machlaikas. Whether it's a deraisa or the rabbanan, the the ones who hold it's deraisa is a bahag, and the rambam seems to hold it's rabbanan. The iri also um, holds that it's the rabbanan. Either way, one acquires much merit by doing the visiting as a sick person, and here are some of the uh, things that he will gain by doing the mitzvah bikkacholim. Number one, what it says in the mishnah or actually Braisa, one will enjoy the fruit in this world as well as the principle in the next world. And then you're protected from the Yetzirah. That's another another uh, approach. And that's uh, from the Gemara in the Durham, Daf Mem Med Aleph. Another third one is that uh, a person will be spared suffering. 
and that's also from the Gemara in Durham, Mem Amun Aleph. And then another one is that honor will be given to one who visits the sick, and that uh, is from Tehillim, uh, Mem Aleph Gimel. Check it out. Do you need to make a bracha when you do Bikacholim? Well, we obviously don't. The question is, why don't we do it? One is that you don't say a bracha over somebody's pain. Now, the bris is different because it's not a pain of sorrow. And the truth of the matter is that really the child is a whole question of what is he experiencing. The moilim always claim, I don't know, I can't vouch for it, uh, I hope to go to Bris tomorrow. Um, I'll check it out again, but I don't know if it uh, will know anything. The uh, the the it's not really p- the pain. I'm sorry, the crying. The 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 Moilem claim is because of coldness of the knife, not because of the actual of an actual pain. I don't know. Can't tell you. Um, the, the another reason why we don't make a bracha is that you only make a bracha on something that's done at a specific time, like, like talisman tefillin, uh, but bikacholim is constantly incumbent upon the person. There's no time specification, so there's no bracha recited. The third reason you don't make it is a mitzvah that could be canceled at any moment, you can't make a bracha on, because like, for example, tzedakah, you know, it depends, the person has to accept it. Uh, he may refuse it. So, for example, you will give him a dollar. He says, I'm not taking a dollar from you. I want a 20. Okay, if you want to give him a 20, give him a 20. But I'm saying, but if you don't want to give him a 20, he doesn't want to take a one. <laughs> so then where are we, right? <laughs> Somebody has to give. Okay, so uh, if, if, if he has the ability to turn it off and then no mitzvah, then really it's not something you control. So therefore, you can't make a bracha. And the same thing here, if he doesn't want to see you, he says, I don't want to see you. And that does, by the way, happen. The person doesn't feel well, or he he doesn't want you to see the way he looks. There are times where you can't do the mitzvah bikachol. Even you plan to, you went there, standing at the door, you knocked on the door, this is so-and-so, and then you say the bracha, there isn't one, but he'd say, you'd say the bracha, and he'd say, I don't want to see you. So, or you'll say, I came to the door, that was the mitzvah of I don't know. It, it seems here that you wouldn't be able to fulfill the mitzvah that way. Another reason is, there are many factions of non-Jews fact, who, who do, uh, do bikacholim also. So it's not something specifically uh, limited to Jews. Is there a good time and a better time? Of course there's better times, and that, but that depends upon the situation that he's going through. Should one dis- who dislikes a patient go to visit him as well? Well, this is a big question. A big question. Visiting somebody you don't like. Got to be careful. Because if you're going to go there and make things worse, that's not good. That That is uh, definitely uh, not right. And you don't get the mitzvah because well, I went, I did bicholim. I got the mitzvah bicholim. He he has his problems. The poskim say that if you visit a sick person and you don't benefit him, and you don't don't anything for him, then you didn't get the mitzvah bicholim. And if this person is turned off by your coming, you're not getting the mitzvah bicholim. 
If a person gives, uh, you're giving a papurim, you're giving shalach manas, and uh, th- that fellow was never going to use it. He's going to refuse it. He'll throw it away. It, it, it wasn't a bit, it wasn't a, a shalach manas. It's not lafich avaydo. He doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like you, whatever it is. If there's no acceptance, you didn't get that mitzvah. There has to be an acceptance on his side. So uh, you got to be very careful. This is, uh, we want to encourage everybody to go and to visit because maybe it will be helpful. But if it's going to have an adverse effect, it isn't a good idea. If, if it appears to the, uh, the patient that his enemy is coming to gloat over his bad uh, misfortune, then that's, uh, that's something that should be avoided. So each case has to be judged on the on the basic value of the you know the relationship etc. I would add uh, you know it's also the same thing for a person going for nicho mavelim. You have an association with somebody, but if it's not positive, if it's a negative association, it'd be nice to make up a different time. I don't know if it's going to work so well. If you walk in and he gives you a growl then uh, you didn't do a mitzvah and you only made it worse. And he may think that you're coming there, you know, feeling that y- you have your relatives intact and he's lost his. So it's, it's not advisable to go in that direction for these kinds of mitzvahs unless the person is going to get that feeling that you care enough and that's why you came. If God forbid he's going to get the feeling that you came for something else, it's absolutely counterproductive. Of course, you could make a mental note, I got to make up with that guy. And you talk should. Because the Sholem problem in Israel, among the Jewish people, is unbelievable. There's no reason for people to have harbors Ill, Ill feelings about each other. We're supposed to work together. And every Shmona Esrei, the last bracha, we're davening for Shalom. And that Shalom isn't that he should have Shalom with his brother. <laughs> it's for you to have Shalom with him too. <laughs> so uh, don't excuse yourself. A person has to put himself actively into Shalom. Not shalom bias and Shalom in the, the bigger world. It's very important to work towards that. Can a Kohen visit a sick person in the hospital? That's a very complicated issue. It seems that Ramosha Feinstein did give a heter to a person going to visit somebody in Cohen to Bellevue. He permitted a Cohen to, to go there if he was visiting a parent or a child or a wife. In extenuating circumstances, you could be lenient to visit his wife's family members as well. So this, But this you got to really discuss it with somebody because it, 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 it is a problem. What's the relative problem of somebody being alive or dead, or a Jew or not a Jew? This is a not really. This is a very, very halachic problem, and it'd be better to check it out. Rav Moshe Feinstein's piece is in Igris Moshe Yeridea, Volume Two, Kuf Samach Samach Vav. I'm sorry. Yes, Kuf Samach Vav. Okay. Do you get a merit for visiting a non-Jew? So, you know, this, many people are going to be surprised at what Rabbi Khan wrote over here, but listen to it carefully. One should visit a non-Jew 
if this will promote goodwill amongst the non-Jewish communities. So while it may not be the mitzvah b'kecholim, it will be a mitzvah of darkei sholom. And that's the halacha for many things. We have to be concerned about darkei sholom, what the people say. I always go back to Yaakov Kamenetsky. He greeted the nuns, even though they're, you know, strong about their religion. And, um, you know, no, no special connection to Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. He greeted them every morning. There's something for this Dake Sholem getting along with peoples in the world. There's something for it. That's, it's in the Gemara. It's in the Gemara. You shouldn't, uh, you should be even, I mean, even the, the non-Jew in the, in the street, you should always say Sholem first. You shouldn't, shouldn't wait for them to say hello to you. May a woman visit a man or a man visit a woman. One would certainly merit the reward of the mitzvah of visiting someone from the other gender. However, you have to be careful about the laws of yichud. In many cases, what happened be, maybe you go together with your wife or husband, and whichever the case is, and then it's less of an issue. But I must tell you, one of the things that I saw, and I especially appreciate seeing, is the bikacholim from the bikacholim of Williamsburg. The Satmer Bika Choylem of Williamsburg. And I remember these people, men and women, going to visit men and women, not man visiting man. If a man was covering that hospital, he visited anyone, a man or a woman, and he gave them the food that he wanted to give, etc., etc. And the same thing, I suppose, with a woman. It's a hospital. The Yichud Shavos are pretty simple. And, he, and as far as uh, the mitzvah, the mitzvah is very great. And I remember what those Bikacholim people did. It sticks out of my mind. I was, I was visiting also. And I, what, what impact it had. Not, it, this has got to be big. I can't, it can't be something to stay away from. 